It's Thursday, October 11th, and this is The Daily Dive. Hurricane Michael continues to move, leaving Florida clobbered and flooded. When Michael hit land, it was a Category 4 storm, making it the strongest storm ever to hit the area and one of the strongest to hit the United States. Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios and extreme weather expert, joins us for why the storm got turbocharged. And the bigger question, why are we seeing more extreme weather events like this? Next, we have all heard of the crazy stories of emotional support animals on planes. Some of my favorites include mini horses, peacocks, hamsters, and a duck wearing a diaper. Well now, people are flying with squirrels. One passenger had to be kicked off of Frontier Airlines flight after she was told she could not fly with her emotional support squirrel. My producer Miranda joins us for this story and what it takes to get cleared to have an emotional support animal. Finally, we all want a better credit score, but some experts say that once you hit a certain number, going higher is a waste of time. All you need to do is hit 750 or 760 and you will be getting the best loans and rates you can. Yoni Bloomberg, reporter for CNBC Make It, joins us for why there's no need to hit that magic number of 850. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Ratings are resilient. We will recover and we'll do it together. Florida is unbreakable and we'll get through this together. Hurricane Michael cannot break Florida. Joining us now is Andrew Friedman, science editor for Axios and extreme weather expert. Let's talk about Hurricane Michael. It has made landfall at a Category 4, just shy of a Category 5. Let's start off with the intensity of this storm. Again, we were when we spoke a few days ago, we were talking about how the potential for the storm to intensify was there. And then overnight before it made landfall, again, it, it just got so much stronger. What's going on with that? Why is it? I think some reports I saw that it got 55 percent stronger in just one day. I'm not sure about the percentage wise. I can tell you that it was an extraordinary rapid intensification rate. This is something that forecasters have a lot of trouble with. We nailed it with Hurricane Florence when uh, Florence went through a period of rapid intensification. The computer models caught it ahead of time. With this one, we knew the signs were there, but it seemed to be having a little bit of trouble overcoming two factors. One is some wind shear, which was disrupting some of the storm's core and would block these huge thunderstorms into the atmosphere only to lose the tops of them to these strong winds. And then the other one was a bit of dry air that it had ingested that was disrupting its circulation. At some point on Tuesday night, it suddenly seemed to have come free from the grips of what was holding it back and just went gangbusters for several hours, really transformed itself into a very ugly storm, very beautiful meteorologically speaking, but ugly for Floridians and just kept going. What we normally see are storms that approach the Florida panhandle and weaken as they near land. This one did the opposite. It was still intensifying as it crossed the beach. The hurricane sensor actually upped it from 150 to 155 when half of the eye was already overland. It has potential to cause damage all over the area, the Florida Panhandle, the Big Bend region, southern Georgia. It's going to push inland. They're saying some of the effects could even reach, as we said, the Carolinas. They're still recovering from Florence. Talk to us about the timeline and the trajectory it's going to take. It's going to start to weaken now that it hit landfall. Is that right? Or does it have potential to keep going this strong? So it's starting to weaken. It's already down five miles an hour. I suspect every 
update that will take the winds down by 5 to 10 miles an hour each time. It's lost its fuel source. The fuel source was the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. Normally, they're warm enough in October to support a Cat 5, and they were warmer than usual at this point. Global ocean temperatures have been elevated in part from climate change and in part from transient weather events. But the path that this storm is now going to take, it's now pushing up into southern Georgia. You're going to have hurricane force winds, possibly even Cat 3 or Cat 4 wind gusts in parts of southern Georgia. And the whole Atlantic coast of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, it's going to start to get into this area of stronger southerly winds, which is going to push a storm surge up there. So you're going to see storm surge flooding in places like Charleston, South Carolina, places like Wilmington, North Carolina, places that had it with Hurricane Florence. This is not going to be their nightmare scenario, but I think a lot of people in Georgia especially, as well as South Carolina, are going to be surprised at how severe the damages, particularly with tree damage and power outages. It's going to be a, a very large blackout when all the numbers are added up sometime on Thursday or Friday. The news obviously plays up a lot of these weather events. They have reporters walking in flooded areas and standing in the wind and the rain just to illustrate what's going on so people in other parts of the country know what's going on. There is that, but there is the scientific consensus that extreme weather is on the rise. Why are we seeing more of these big weather events? As we said, with Florence, it was huge and then it was stalling out. It was doing all this crazy stuff. The same thing with this one. It intensified in the last few moments before it made landfall. What is going on with all these extreme weather events? We know that we have more extreme weather events that are becoming more intense and more frequent with climate change, plain and simple. That is particularly the case with heat waves and heavy precipitation events. It's not as clear cut with hurricanes. What scientists think is happening and have demonstrated in studies is that they are becoming wetter, meaning they're producing more rainfall on average, and they are either already getting stronger or expected to see more high-end hurricanes. So you might have fewer hurricanes in a season, but a bigger percentage of them is going to be a Cat 4 or Cat 5. Now that matters a lot because it's the Cat 4, Cat 5 storms that cause most of the damage. With both Florence and with the current storm, you had both storms go through periods of rapid intensification. That means that it intensified by about 35 miles an hour or greater in 24 hours. This far exceeded that baseline definition. What we think we may and I say we, meaning the climate community, and as somebody who covers the community, I sometimes say we, but really, it's the scientists who are doing the work. And they're saying to me, we think we might be seeing a trend towards more frequent rapid intensification. That's a real forecast challenge, because if that's going to be happening more frequently, you could go to sleep thinking you're going to get hit by a Category 1 and wake up to be hit by a Category 4. The real nightmare with this storm. And that's the problem with, you know, getting people to evacuate. As it is, it's tough to get everyone to go. Even in this situation, Governor Rick Scott in Florida there said, right when it was going to make landfall, he said, hey, if you didn't leave, it's too late. Now you have to just stick through it. As these things intensify so quickly, it is harder to get people to evacuate and get to safer ground. All the networks put people in harm's way to cover these storms. I was screaming at the television in the newsroom because I was looking at where they were located and seeing what 
was coming on radar and knowing that you can't really do a live shot in a Category 4 Borderline 5. You have to shelter. They were going to try to head yeah. out, and then they told them, sorry, guys, you got to turn back, and they ended up having to hunker down after yeah. the fact. So, yeah, it's it gets very dangerous very quickly. Yeah, very much so. And you, you know it's a bad sign when the Weather Channel pulls one of its most experienced storm chasers out of the area, and then, uh, you know, they're forced to shelter. Thank you, uh, Andrew, for joining us and giving us the science behind these hurricanes. The next phase is... Obviously, they're going through it right now, and then it's all the recovery efforts that happen afterwards. Andrew Friedman, science editor for Axios, extreme weather expert. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yes, the passenger did follow protocol by calling them in advance and saying that she would be flying with an emotional support animal, but she never specified that it would be anything other than the typical dog or cat. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. I always love these stories. It's one of those things that we all go through when you fly in a plane. You're always worried about a fight breaking out, somebody doing something crazy, your plane being diverted, somebody getting sick. But these always hold a special place in my heart when somebody brings an animal onto the plane. I've been on a plane where somebody brought in a little dog, you know, it was like a lap dog sat in the person's lap the entire time. Cute. No problems whatsoever. But we've all seen stories about passengers flying with their cats or dogs. Miniature horses seems to be a big thing. There's also been special occasions where somebody's had a peacock, a hamster, <laughs> ducks wearing a diaper, pigs. So the latest installment of these things is a lady with a squirrel as her emotional support animal. What do we know about this story, Miranda? This woman was removed from a Frontier Airlines flight late Tuesday night when she tried to fly with her emotional support squirrel. And then she refused to get off the plane after being told no, according to the airline. So a Frontier spokesperson made a statement and said that, yes, the passenger did follow protocol by calling them in advance and saying that she would be flying with an emotional support animal. But she never specified that it would be anything other than the typical dog or cat. They had no idea that they were going to have a rodent on board. That seems like a failure of communication. You would think the person handling the call would have asked. Well, what is the animal? They said rodents, including squirrels, are not allowed on frontier flights. So if it seems to be some type of policy, okay, that could have been figured out. She called in advance. So (laughs) they said the flight was traveling from Orlando to Cleveland. They told the lady, you got to get off. They actually had to take other passengers off the plane. Everybody had to get off so that they can deplane her. They had to call the police and forcibly remove her from the flight. Right. And that in and of itself is a huge pain. There's a fun fact. I think you can share this, Miranda. Uh, Frontier Airlines features a variety of animals on the tails of its planes. Yeah. So their thing is that they have animals on the tails of their planes, including Foxy the Red Fox, Rudy the Raccoon, Jim Bob the Badger, and even Oscar Sammy the Squirrel. Of course they did. There was a viral video that was going on and the ladies actually, they took her off on a wheelchair and she's flipping people off as she's being escorted out and people are cheering and everything. I think we have a little bit of audio. Shut up! Frontier announced, actually, that they had a new policy on emotional support animals that is set to go in effect on November 1st and allows cats and dogs and restricts trained service animals to cats, dogs, and miniature horses. There it is again. Miniature horses seem to be quite a popular popular thing. The question then comes, how do people get emotional support 
animals. I feel like you can just, anybody can just say, hey, I need this X animal here to make me feel better. There's actually a protocol that you need to go through to have an emotional support animal. Well, there's a couple of things. So emotional support animals are different from service animals. And so emotional support animals are not covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act, meaning that businesses are not required to accommodate them. So things like airlines, restaurants, if you don't have your service dog because you're blind or you have a peanut allergy or whatever it is, they can kick you out of the restaurant and you're not owed anything. In order to obtain an emotional support animal, you have to prove that you are emotionally disturbed. You have to actually go to a mental health professional. Right. And they have to diagnose you with whatever kind of mental illness or emotional disability you may have. And from there, you can qualify to have the emotional animal to travel with you or go wherever you want. And the only requirements is that they be well behaved and not jerks in public. They don't have to have any kind of special training. All domesticated animals may qualify as an emotional support animal. Cats, dogs, mice, rabbits, birds, hedgehogs, rats, mini pigs, ferrets, the list goes on and on. So And they can be any age. It can be a puppy. It can be a kitten. It doesn't have to be a full grown dog. So this squirrel could very well have qualified to be an emotional support animal. I think she had it in some type of carrier and like it wasn't going to run around and cause a bunch of trouble. But listen, a Delta spokesperson said that they've had issues with these emotional support animals on flights, including dogs having panic attacks, needing to get oxygen administered (laughs) to them, flight attendants being bitten by other support animals, ducks just wandering the aisles, blocking the beverage carts. I wonder if she did have a letter saying that it was an emotional support animal. I know a lot of people forge those things because they're pretty easy. It's yes. basically a doctor's note is what it's and you look can, like. There's even websites where you can go online, fill out a yes or no questionnaire and print out your certificate, sort of like becoming ordained to do your friend's wedding. <laughs> That's just hilarious. It's a tough thing because riding in a plane is a common space. You're in tight quarters. You've got to share that space and be respectful of other people. And you never know what's going to happen with an animal. It could poop and pee all over the place. Um, like I said, I think the squirrel was probably... Not going to be that big of a problem, but, you know, once the flight attendants are asking you to get off the plane, it's already going to be a problem. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Oscar. Once you're around 750 or 760, you've entered that excellent range and, you know, you don't have to worry about going higher because at that point in time, you're going to get the best loan rates. You're going to get the best deals. You're basically going to have the same perks you have with a score of 850. Joining us now is Yoni Blumberg, reporter for CNBC Make It. We're going to be talking about credit scores, and this is one of the things that I've, I I never really knew what that magic number was. You obviously want the highest credit score you can always get. But experts are saying, you know, once you hit a certain number, don't kill yourself trying to get it that much higher. You know, once you get into that top bracket, you're kind of doing okay. And you started off your story. It was pretty funny with a 56 year old government employee from Cleveland. His name was Tom Pavelka. In 2012, we found out that he had the highest credit score in America at 848, almost hitting that 850 mark. Tell us about him real quick and then we'll get into all the other stuff. Right. So, yeah, he had that near perfect score because the max FICO score you can have is 850. The reason he had that is because it sounds like he had multiple lines of credit that he made sure to pay off on time. When you borrow money from a lender and demonstrate that you can pay it off on time and demonstrate that you're good for it by paying it in full, that improves your score a lot. That's one of the main components of what goes into the FICO score. Yeah, he'd bought a bunch of cars and later paid those off in full. So it was showing all the credit bureaus, you know, he was good for what he borrowed, basically. 
what a recent psychoanalysis found is that people with excellent scores in the excellent range north of 750 or 760 have at least three open cards, which means that they have multiple lines of credit. They have a high credit limit. Most people that have excellent scores do have an average of three cards open and three that have been closed. Because I always thought that, you know, they say don't close them because that could also negatively affect your credit score. Okay, so that's true. So another big component of your credit score is credit history. And closing a card can lessen your history because when you have an open card that, that you've been using for a long time, your history is going to be longer. So it's kind of murky around when, when, whether or not you close your cards, but they do say that when, I mean, obviously if it hurts your history, it's going to hurt your score, but keeping a card open, as long as there's no annual fee, as long as there's no cost, it doesn't really hurt you to keep it open. So then what's the range that we're shooting for? Because not all of us are going to get 850, obviously, <laughs> but where can we start resting easy once we've reached that certain level? What, what's that number? Once you're around 750 or 760, you've entered that excellent range and, you know, you don't have to worry about going higher because at that point in time, you're going to get the best loan rates. You're going to get the best deals. You're basically going to have the same perks you have with a score of 850 if you can achieve that. Why should we be aiming that high? What are some of the other perks that you get being in that top range? I saw something right. in your article about it could affect the mortgage rates you get and save you tons of money there. Right, exactly. I think it's, it's mostly about saving money because the best rates are going to give you the best deals. So I think NerdWallet found that a score in that excellent range, anything above 750 or 760, compared to a score of 680, can save you more than $10,000 over a course of a 30-year mortgage, wow, which, is, which is a lot of money, yeah. obviously. Yeah. What do we do to raise that score? Because I think that's the difficulty that most people have. I mean, a lot of people are paying their bills on time, but what do you right. do outside of that? Right. So paying your bills on time, I think is like the number one thing that you should focus on. And even messing up once or twice can knock you back for months to years. You also want to show that you can borrow money and pay it off. So people who have really high scores, like we talked about, have multiple lines of credit. They have multiple cards. They have auto loans. They have a mortgage and they're paying it off on time and showing that they're responsible with how they're paying it off. Time is another key ingredient in all this. You're not going to get a credit card and have a perfect score a year later. You need to show that you can be responsible over the course of time. I think credit mix is also a small consideration for them. So different types of credit, credit cards, mortgages, auto loans. And then one really important factor also is keeping your balances low on your credit card. So right. it's something called the credit utilization ratio, which basically means you won't have a high credit limit and not use much credit. They say really keeping it below 30%. So if, for example, if you have a $10,000 credit limit, you don't want to be spending more than $3,000 a month, but you can go even lower than that, which is even better. So I think if possible, if you can get a really high credit limit, keeping your utilization ratio, ratio around 5% is actually ideal. And that was the case for uh, the guy we mentioned earlier, Tom Pavelka. They, him and his wife had like eight different credit cards and it kept that right. usage pretty low. So you want to be careful not to max out your credit cards. Right. It sounds like he had a limit of $120,000. So <laughs> he could spend a lot without using a lot. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, then there you go. Don't kill yourself getting the highest possible. You just want to get into that top little range. About 750 760 should do. So Yoni Bloomberg, reporter for CNBC Make It. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>